uh, been quite a week. Uh, and most of you are probably aware that uh, Diane Soper went home to be with the Lord this week. Uh, also, uh, a lot of you may not know Janet Jones, uh, Jim Jones' uh, wife, but uh, she went home to be with the Lord yesterday as well. And uh, the reason you might not know her is she's been in the nursing home for a couple of years. Neither one of these ladies left the kingdom. They both just moved to another room. Uh, and that's a good thing. Um, I've been asked to announce that there will be visitation for uh, uh, Janet tomorrow evening over at Woodfin's from 5 to 8. Um, the service will actually be in Dyersburg on Tuesday uh, with an internment there. But uh, you can uh, stop by and see Jim and maybe say a few words of comfort to him. Also uh, this week, um, what has he, Harrison Mac something or other, oh, huh? Van Michaels, yes. Harrison Van Michaels Owen came into the world this week. And uh, we're <clears throat> looking forward real soon to a new Jones coming into the world. So that, that'd be great. Uh, and then this week also, uh, wouldn't you know it, uh, the McKays are leaving us. They're moving to uh, Indianapolis. And we're not excited about that, but we're going to pray over them. Uh, and if they'll come up here, we're going to, we're going to pray over them. And uh, I, I just don't know what to say. If you've got a special connection to this family, come up and pray with me here. Uh, this has been a very special family here in a lot of different areas and a lot of different ways. And okay, some of y'all stay back in your seats. All right. <laughs> just a few people right here. Uh, get out so they can actually get around you. That that makes it that makes it better. And um, let me just say this: we're not giving you to Indianapolis. We're loaning you to Indianapolis, and that's all. Well, the rest of you, stretch your hands out and let's pray over them. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the McKays. I thank you, Father, for what they mean to us, and I thank you, Lord, for what they mean to the kingdom. And I know that. That you have purposes in what you do. We don't just, we don't just do things. You, you have a purpose in sending us places. And so Lord, I pray that that purpose would be fulfilled. I pray, Lord God, that this would be a fruitful season in their lives. Uh, and Lord, though we're sorry to see them go and we definitely want them back. I pray, Father, that, uh, that this would be a time that's so blessed that it would be a time when you, when your presence is real. And, and I know that there's still, uh, trying to find a fellowship and all there. And, and I pray that they would, Father, um, uh, a place where they can be used in a fruitful way. And I ask, Lord, for your, your protection and your grace to rest upon this family. Um, may they have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. This... Uh, Worship art, this has been, or the art of worship, this has been a, uh, in some ways, a, a very difficult and in some ways a very easy uh, sermon to put together. Um, so let's just see what happens, all right, shall we? Uh, would you stand with me and let's read a somewhat obscure passage with some very difficult names to pronounce. 
from the, uh, from the book of Exodus. But, uh, well, they may be difficult to pronounce. It's a short passage. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bazalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skill to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gifts that you have placed in the people in this room, in the body of Christ. I thank you, Lord God, for the skills that you've given to them. I thank you, Lord, for the joy that they have in using those things in your presence. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon this sermon and upon this place in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, Springhouse Worship and Arts Center. Most of you uh, are aware if you've been here long enough, you're aware anyway, that uh, Worship and Arts Center, actually that was, that came from Bruce Coble. Uh, if it had come from uh, Wayne or I, I don't know if that would have flown or not, but uh, uh, it came from Bruce. He really felt like the Lord spoke to him and I feel like the Lord spoke to him. Uh, the friends that I have in the in the arts community, most of them are in the theater community. When I tell them what the name of our church is and say Worship and Arts Center, they go, "That's redundant," because it is. Uh, worship and arts really can be and should be one and the same thing. The first thing that we know about God, Genesis one one, very familiar passage of scripture. In the beginning, God created. The heavens and the earth. The first revelation of God is as creator. He made something. And what a something it is that he made. Uh, Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So whether you speak Mandarin Chinese or whether you speak English or Spanish or Portuguese or Swahili or Shona, whatever it is, you understand what they're saying. What, what the heavens are saying, they're revealing the, the glory and the power and the majesty of of God as the creator. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about him creating and, and the universe and everything. And I was going, well, I'm not going to talk about um, uh, facts and figures and, and information because you've probably heard a lot of that. Well, today I'm going to because uh, what a God, what, what an awesome God to create all these things on Mars. There's a there's a mountain on Mars. Um, that's the largest mountain in the uh, in the solar system. It's called Olympus Mons. I don't know what they call it on Ma Mars. That's that's what we call it here, and uh, it's three times taller than uh, Mount Everest, which is what that little insert picture kind of gives you an indication of. And it's about the size of Ireland, which is 
pretty good sized mountain. I mean, God, God can make some pretty awesome things. Uh, going a little farther out, speaking of awesome, is Jupiter. Uh, Jupiter is so large, it's two and a half times larger than all of the other planets put together in our solar system. Uh, and also, Ju- Jupiter's got a, a, a bimp on it. It's got a, it's got a, it's got a, a booby there. It's, uh, that, that, that red spot there on, 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 uh, Jupiter. It, uh, that's not a mountain. That's a storm. It's a storm that's been going on for 350 years. And the storm is so big that the earth could fit into it three times. Pretty awesome thing. Go a little further out and get out to Saturn. And, you know, Saturn is probably the coolest looking of the planets. Uh, but it's not a very, it's not a place you'd want to, you know, vacation or anything. Uh, at the equator on, on uh, Saturn, uh, <laughs> they're, they're, the winds are ten times stronger than a normal hurricane on Earth. They, they approach 700 miles an hour and they never stop. They never, they never take a break whatsoever. And at the other end of that spectrum would be the moon, which has no atmosphere and so therefore has no wind or anything. And the footprints that the Apollo astronauts left 46 years ago are still there, completely undisturbed. I guess one of the good things about that, if you lived on the moon, you'd never have to dust. Where does dust come from? It just, okay, let's, I'm coming back. The furthest galaxies in the universe are speeding away from us at over 90% of the speed of light. The speed of light, as most of you know, is a real fast thing. I've always been fascinated by it because uh, a few years ago I mentioned when I was growing up, I always wanted to be known as Flash. Because, and, and I couldn't, but I don't run very fast, and so nobody didn't catch on. But, uh, but the speed of light does, 186,000 miles per second which ends up actually being over 600 million miles per hour. And as you know, when it, when it comes to, uh, to uh, astronomical distances, they're generally measured in light years. And a, and a light year is actually 5.88 trillion miles. The, uh, the, the distance... No, I'm sorry. A light year is actually, wait a minute, let me get my figures here. A light year, yeah, is actually uh, uh, 5.88 trillion miles. And our galaxy is, uh, is 100,000 light years from one end to the other. And so if you were going at the speed of light across our galaxy, I shouldn't have put MPH at the end of that. It's 588 with 15 zeros after it. Whatever that is. I don't, I don't even know what that is. And then, and then there, then there are stars. Stars. When you were a kid, uh, and some of you still are, but when, when you, when you were, if you're my age and when you were a kid and you looked up at the night sky, did you ever have anybody come along and say to you, Oh, there, and there's the Milky Way? Did you ever have anybody do that? Yeah, I, I did too. Duh. It's all the Milky Way. I mean, that's all you can see, except for maybe see Andronica if you know where to Andromeda if you know where to look. But uh, but it's all the Milky Way, and and in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, it's estimated that there's 400 billion stars, which is a big number. But it's also estimated that in the universe, there's 170 billion galaxies. 
And so if they've each got like 400 billion stars in them, that's, that's a whole bunch of zeros behind some other number that goes in front of them. It's just, it's big. And then it's also theorized that there may be an infinite number of universes. God made all of this. Our sun. As you know, it's basically a big nuclear reactor. Real big nuclear reactor. In fact, uh, Jupiter is so big that a thousand Earths could fit in Jupiter. The sun is so big that a thousand Jupiters could fit in the sun. So that's like a billion Earths could fit in the sun. And at the core of it, where this nuclear reactor thing is going on, where nuclear fission is taking place, uh, it sends out light protons. But once a light proton is sent out from the core of the sun, it takes it 10 million years to reach the surface of the sun. And then once it reaches the surface, it reaches Earth in eight minutes. This thing is a, uh, is a, is a, a neutron star. And neutron stars are not impressive in some way because they're not big, huge things. They're, uh, they're, they're, that, a neutron star is usually a little bit smaller than the Earth. And yet it's the most densely made thing in the universe. And so it's estimated that a teaspoon of neutron star would weigh two trillion pounds. Would, 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 would weigh over a billion tons. One other thing that I found impressive as I was, you know, looking up stuff that anybody could look up. Uh, and that has to do with the temperature on stars. The temperature on stars is uh, most of the heart of a star tends to reach around 16 million cent degrees centigrade, which that doesn't really mean anything to me because I, I think in Fahrenheit. But I also don't think in terms of 16 million degrees anything when you get right down to it. And one of the things that, uh, that it talked about is if you took a grain of sand and heated it to that temperature and put it in Murfreesboro, then everybody in this circle would die from the heat, from the temperature of it. I mean, what God has made. No, no wonder you can look into the night sky and go, oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder. Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. What a great God he is. Yet, for all of this stuff, the most amazing thing that he's made, the most complex thing that he has made, is the human brain. Which is pretty remarkable when you consider that each of you got one. <laughs> and our brains are remarkable. They, they, have, they have over a hundred billion neurons, a quadrillion connectors, whatever a quadrillion happens to be. And, and we know very little. It's, it's just this super uh, organic supercomputer, and we don't know a lot about how it operates. We do know that a lot of people have computer viruses. <laughs> but it's the most complicated thing that's ever been discovered, ever been observed of all the things that God made. A and the reason that it's 
that it's the most complicated, the most, is because he made us in his image. What a piece of work is man. How noble in reason. How infinite in faculty, in form, and movement. How express and admirable in action. How like a God. And it may sound at first a little blasphemous to say how like a God, but he created us in his image. So yes, how like a God. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. So we find out over in Genesis, it's kind of not surprising. Since the first thing he reveals to us is that he's a creator. And since the skies proclaim it to us every day and every night. And all of the things that we look around see his, his creative glory and his creative abilities. It's kind of not surprising that this, this man, Basilel, an artisan, a guy who, who created stuff, a guy who was, who was given the, who was inspired by God to, to, to make things and to form things is also the first person in scripture that is ever mentioned as being filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with God's Spirit. He was creative. You're creative because you, you got the Spirit of God. You're made in His image. You say, well, I'm not, I, I can't even draw a straight. You don't have to draw a straight line to be creative. Straight lines are not necessarily particularly creative. You know? I mean, curved lines look pretty good too. Depends, depends on what, depends on what you do with them. Satan is not creative. Satan used to be creative. He fell. He's not creative anymore. He now rules over a doomed system called the world and it's comprised of only three things and it's a broken record and it keeps playing over and over and over and over and over and over. And I use this verse a lot, but it's important for us to know this. The only three things in the world, the, the, uh, the trinity that the world is based on is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And that's it. Everything is a variation of that, of that, those three verses. That's it. And so the evil ones in this world have a boring similarity about them. It's just kind of same-o, same-o, same-o. Depending, uh, you know, uh, the political leaders from Caligula to Hitler to Idi Amin to uh, bad hair guy uh, from, from North Korea, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong uh, I believe is his name. It's the same. If you lived under one of their governments, you'd, you know what it's like. You're living under all of them. It's all, it's all the same. The boastful pride of life. Pornography. Lust of the eye. Or you could call it lust of the flesh. It's also boring. Now, it's addictive. It's very addictive. But it's boring. You get right down to it. Uh, anybody, it's like any addiction, whether it's, you know, cigarettes or drugs or food or whatever it may, or, or pornography, whatever it may happen to be, anybody who's, who's trapped in it, anybody who's addicted to it, it's not like, wow, I really enjoy this. It's like, wow, I wish I could quit doing this. Same old, same old. It's what? It's boring. It's what the world does. Greed, lust of the flesh. Every, every, uh, those who are, greed sows 
poverty, not only poverty to those who are oppressed by it, but poverty of spirit to those who get it. It's not like the more money they get, the more alive they feel. It's not like the more stuff you have, the better your life is. Every now and then I'll, I'll look at my office and I'll go, I'll, I'll just go through it and start getting rid of things. And you know how I feel once I've gotten rid of things? There has never been a sense of, oh, I'm getting rid of this. No, it's always been, whew, boy, I'm glad that's gone. Feel good now. The saints of God, on the other hand, are gloriously diverse and, and, and sometimes just ridiculously outsized personalities. You got Simon Peter, hothead. Uh, hot, hot, impetuous preacher. Aren't you glad that you've got such a uh, reasonable, calm, <laughs> kind? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Saint John. I, I, I love John. He changed over his life. He went from glory to glory to glory, being transformed in the image of Christ, so that he started out as a son of thunder. Lord, you want us to call down lightning and kill those people? And he ended up, basically with most of his sermons being, Love, love, love. Bum, bum, bum. Little children love one another. Just glorious transformation taking place in his life. Ignatius Loyola, the... The, the the founder of the, the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, the defender of the Roman Catholic Church, Martin Luther, the guy who nailed the 95 Thesis to the, to the door and started the Protestant Revolution. They're on the same team. They, they, they have the same God, and God enjoyed them both. God... God liked them both. Francis of Assisi. What kind of, it's this great religion that, that creates this guy, creates this guy who goes around, you know, petting birds and things and, and just loving stuff and, and Joan of Arc leading armies and conquering cities. That's, I think it's so cool. Um, Florence Nightingale and, and, and Mother Teresa comforting the, uh, the dead. And then you've got Stonewall Jackson and William Sherman creating the dead. Uh, but, but all, all of them, children of God fervently following the Lord. So, you know, from Jerry Falwell to George Foreman, from, uh, Watchman Nee to Smith Wigglesworth, and if you got a name like Wigglesworth, you had to be a Christian. Uh, from Bill Gaither to, oh, yeah, Wayne Berry. <laughs> I, 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 the diversity is wonderful. It's beautiful. I've got three kids, and and they're all different. I've got a daughter who's pursuing acting, and that's really what she wants to do. I've got another daughter who's an educator, uh, and a really good one, has been that for a number of years. And I've got a son who's a baker, for crying out loud. And, and, I, and I love it. Uh, you know, I love having all that, all that difference, all that 
variety. And that's the way, that's the way God is. The desire to create is a divine spark that calls forth worship and praise of God. The, the God who created peacocks and possums and lions and lizards and dogs and donkeys and oceans and deserts and fire and ice and men and women inspires the hearts of those he created in his image to sing and to dance with the nations to to build and plant and 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 to bake and run and color and invent and explore and it's a, it's it's a glorious thing got a couple of videos I'm going to show this morning this one I showed at Easter but I enjoy watching it again and it fits so bring the lights down Notice there wasn't a single 
religious icon or artifact in that. The word said he speaks to me everywhere. And that's one of the one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this sermon today, because I we we get ourselves in a position that if it if it's not something religious, we have a tendency to not think about him. We have a tendency to not realize, wait a minute, I see him. He's there. He's in this. He's in this place. I, I was saying that this was, um, in some ways, a hard sermon to bring. And, and one of the reasons is I was going, well, why? You know, why? Well, the reason why uh, is you're surrounded by art. You, you live in a culture where you are surrounded by it all the time. And, and you may go, well, wait a minute, that's not art. That's, that's advertised. That's art. And it's powerful. It's very powerful. It's very, it's very strong. It influences what we think. It influences what we do. It influences what we buy. It influences how we spend our money. You can't escape it, but you can discriminate. How? Uh, you can look at it through a different lens. And, and a lot of people are afraid of art. They go, well, I, you know, I, man, I don't know anything about art. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You, you may, you may not know um, you know what you, you know what you like. Okay. And what you like is very important. You know, if you don't like it, all the, all the art experts in the world can sit there and look at it and go, Ooh, this is wonderful. And if, and if it means nothing to you, if it doesn't touch you, don't worry about it. Doesn't mean you don't know anything. It just means you're a human being with a very complex brain. And it's processing things differently from the way that others differently, uh, from the way that others do. Uh, let me, uh, I want to, uh, first of all, just bring this to bear. This is, uh, something that I heard in a sermon quite a few years ago and it really impacted me. Uh, some, some terms you need to know. To muse. To muse means, to, uh, to do that as, as a verb means to consider thoughtfully. To, to, to dwell on, to, to think about something. Uh, as a, as a noun, a muse is generally thought of as, as a, an inspiration, a, a, a personality of inspiration. Hopefully the muse is the Holy Spirit in, in a person's life, but, but to muse, uh, is to consider and to think about something. When you put the word, when you put the letter A in front of a word, it negates it. To amuse is to enter a vegetative state of not thought. Think of late night television. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily even the content of late night television because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're just watching a, a, a talk show or if you're watching SportsCenter for the 14th time that night and seeing all the same plays again. Think about sitting there and going, you know, I know all right, I'm just I'm just going to watch till the next commercial. Yeah. Well, but they said, uh, OK, you know, I want to kind of see that play again. So I said. Basically, I just don't want to get up and I just don't want to think about anything. Entertainment is, can, can be, can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, but to entertain something is to give and hold attention to it. You entertain a thought, sometimes for good, sometimes for ill, but that, that is, so entertaining is not necessarily a bad thing. Musing is certainly not a bad thing. Amusing, 
just kind of takes it out of you. The issue, though, however, is not good or bad art. Things are not necessarily what they always appear to be. Like I say, uh, it, it, now there's weak art, you know, and there's and there's art that uh, um, that is less skillful, but that doesn't make it bad. Uh, I said it was quite a week, and it and it was. My wife had a birthday this week, and yeah, don't tell her I said that. Uh, but my wife had a birthday this week and she got a bunch of birthday cards. And some of those were expensive birthday cards with some really neat stuff on them. I know because I bought one of those. But those weren't her favorite birthday cards. Her favorite birthday cards have been done with crayon and they kind of, you know, the letters weren't quite straight and stuff on there, but they were the ones that her, that her granddaughters had made. Yeah. And it was a great art. Well, it wasn't skillful art necessarily, but pierced her heart. That's great. And you know what? If I had gotten a crayon and, and made one, it would have looked an awful lot like my granddaughter's uh, ones that they made. wouldn't look much differently, but it probably would have been more impactful to her. So it's not a matter of good or bad. The, the issue here is good or evil. That's really what the issue is in the world. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And when you, t- and when you spend time doing that, when you spend time actually dwelling on or thinking about things that are like that, During that time and at the end of that time, you feel more alive. You, 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 you feel alive. You feel, um, the creative juices are, are, are flowing and things, it's, it's popping. It's happening. It's good to be alive. You do the flip side of that and dwell on the opposite of these things and you just feel, at best numb. But really, most of the time, eh. Only you can answer the question for you as to what is, what, what does it for you? What's, what's really good? Some people could, some people would look at, at, at a picture like this and go, wow, that's wonderful. That is amazing. That, it, it really touches them. It does something for them. Others might look at it and go, well, it's maudlin. It's, 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 it's kitsch. It's a, you know, it's not uh, not really like that. Uh, but at the same time, somebody could look at one of these and, and, and go, oh, well, that's ridiculous. I could do that. Well, you probably can't, but, you know, you think you can. And uh, but somebody else could look at it and go, wow, you know, now I get it. Now I understand. And they're both right. They're both right when it gets right down to it. So let me give you some tools to distinguish evil from good. Say, well, we know evil from good. Let me give you some anyway. Evil, if it causes dehumanizing or debasement, it's evil. If it debases others or yourself, dehumanizes, robs of that humanity that God has put in, then it's evil. I don't care how skillful it is. Some very skillful stuff. It's quite evil. If it deceives, 
It's evil. If it, if it intentionally sets out to deceive, that's an evil thing. If it is numbing, if it entices toward unloving actions, it's evil. You know, there, there, there are things that are out there that are designed to just crank you up in terms of, boy, we, we gotta, we gotta do something about, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's evil. Be aware of the fact that it's evil. Good, on the other hand, if it brings joy that isn't demeaning, it's good. You know, sometimes people um, don't get it when, uh, you know, you do a play or something, and it, you know, it's clean, and, it's, and it, it doesn't do anything. It just doesn't say anything about God or say anything deep, but it just makes people laugh. Yeah. The world needs some more laughter. The world needs some more joy. This is, this is not a happy place. By and large. That's a good thing. If it brings revelation of truth, it's a good thing. And, you know, not all revelation of truth is, oh, wow, that's wonderful, man. I never knew that before. Sometimes revelation of truth is, Oh, really? Ooh, I didn't really know that about me. Now I do. But it's a good thing to know that. And if it brings appreciation for the wonder and the beauty and the mystery of God, then, then it's good. good. Good art can show us the unseen, can take us into places that we wouldn't, are not able to go otherwise. And you do know that our God is an invisible God. In order to really worship, you've got to be able to grasp the unseen. And this can do that at times. And I've got another video here that I think is good art. Would you bring the lights down?
everywhere you go, look at it through the lens of your Creator. Look at it through the lens of good. And don't just be an observer. Create something. A song or a souffle, a, a, a painting or a poem, a photograph, a potholder, whatever it is that you're able to create. Do it. A ballet, a birdhouse, create, rejoice in your creator. That's part of the freedom. Dance like there's nobody looking, sing like there's nobody listening. Create as if God himself were there going, oh, well, oh, that's nice. That's good. See, if you ever, you ever, if you've ever stood over your, your young child and seen them take that crayon for the first time and, you know, draw a dog, and you've gone, ooh, that's really good. You're talented. That's what the Father's waiting to do for you. Really wants to see you do something. Something that not only brings joy to His heart, but that brings you feel His pleasure when you do it. And it's there. It's there. What I want to do with this sermon is give us a new lens to see the world. And I want to call forth those things that the world has tried to kill and crush in each one of us. To the glory of God, call it forth. Would you stand with me? And with those who are going to pray with people, come forward. I was, uh, I've been doing a play in Nashville and I was, uh, I came uh, on Friday and I had been, you know, had my suit and stuff on. Um, I told them, you know, that I'd been to a funeral and they said, well, you probably do a lot of those. I said, well, they come in bunches. And, you know, and then it was the next day that I got the word from, from Jim and, uh, you know, with a week like this, I'm sure that there's stuff happening in people's lives. Uh, it, it doesn't just happen to one family or two families. It's not isolated. If you need something, if you, if you, if you need a help, if you need a touch from God about something, you come. You come. If you don't, let, let's worship together for a little while. Create an atmosphere for those who do. God who created the universe created you as here to work on your behalf. Deeper.
Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.